My name is Jeremy Van Gindren. I am the director of youth and young adults here at Cedar Hills. And I missed you all last Sunday. I was down in Kansas with a group of junior high students at Power Connection. And all weekend, we were with a group of over 800 junior high students and adult leaders. And while we were there, we uh, listened to a skit group. And they did a skit called God and a Box. And so, character number one walks on stage. And he talks about having God in a box. He said, you know, it's kind of like this. You're driving down the road. You have God out on the passenger seat because he's your co-pilot, right? You know, you need God there. And, but then all of a sudden, somebody cuts you off. And something starts to burn within you. And you're like, well, God, you can't see this. So you, you ask God to get back in his box and you close the top. So, so God's in his box now. And then you speed up and get right beside that driver and gently nudge him off the road into the, into the ditch. And then you get back to the stop sign and you open the box back up and let God back in your passenger seat. And he doesn't know any different. You know, that's how life goes, right? Because when things happen in life that you don't want God to see, you just put him in a box and he can't even tell the difference when you take him back out again. The second character in the skit goes, what are you talking about? That's, that's not how life works. And, and the first character again goes, oh, absolutely it does. You know, like at church. At church, you feel real comfortable letting God out of his box. He can sit right beside you. and He can watch you worship in him. And it's beautiful. And the, first, and the second character goes, no, that's, that's not how it goes. And they go back and forth and... Finally, at the end of the skit, the second character goes, so you're saying you can live without God, that you can keep him in a box and you can live without him. And the character thinks for a little bit and he goes, oh, I suppose I am. I suppose I can live without God. And the second character says, can you die without him? To which the first character knows the right answer, but doesn't say anything. And the second character goes, you can't live without him either. You can't put God in a box. Well, today we're going to talk about the presence of God. And we are going to go through a variety of different scriptures. And it is our hope here at Cedar Hills that by the time we leave today, we can all say without a doubt, there is no way that we can live without God. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we pray that your will is done. We pray that your spirit will move in this congregation. That you will be glorified. That we will grow closer to you and deeper in our understanding of you. And that we would leave here transformed to transform the corridor you have put us in. Pray this in your heavenly name. Amen. Have you ever been asked a convicting question? You know, one of those questions that kind of comes out of the blue, but it hits you really deep inside. Usually asked by someone who cares about you a lot and knows you really well. They know just the right question to ask. Well, we're going to look at one of those questions that Paul asked the church in Corinth today. I would love for you to join me in 2 Corinthians 13, and I would love for you just to keep your Bible open the whole time. We're going to be rotating through different scriptures, 
Uh, for those of you who may be un- unfamiliar with where Second Corinthians is, if you open three-fourths of the way, you'll probably be in the Gospels, and you keep going towards the bath. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. And chapter 13 is actually the last chapter of 2 Corinthians, right before you get to Galatians. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. First, it starts off, Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is in you. The question Paul is asking here to the Corinth church is, is Jesus in you? Do you know that Jesus is in you? Maybe I'll pose that question to you guys today. Do you know that Jesus is in you? I ask that question because just like Paul, I love this church. And I love you. And I desire God's best for all of us. And sometimes we have to ask the tough questions and be honest with difficult answers. Paul continues in this verse. Surely you know that Jesus is in you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. Now, when you read the whole passage right there, that whole verse, I think immediately within us, we're like, well, we don't want to fail this test, so absolutely I know Jesus is in me. I want us to be honest today. Is Jesus in you? Because the answer to that question tells us the truth about our faith. We can't fake it. We can't fake the presence of Jesus in our life. And you may be wondering, why does why is this tell us if our faith is genuine or not? If you want to flip with me to Galatians 2, it's the next book in the Bible, the second chapter, verse 20. This is why Paul can ask this question. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When we accept Christ as our Savior, our old life is dead and our new life is Christ in us. I don't know about you, but I can tell a difference between my old sinful life and my new life in Christ. You can tell when Christ is in you. It's a big difference. And so, when I posed the question earlier, do you know that Christ is in you? If your response was, I hope he is, I I think he is, he might be, I want you to know today that you can know 100% for sure that Christ is in you when you accept him as your savior. God's not in a box. God is not just part of your life. He is 
your life. If you want to flip with me back even farther through Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, Timothy, we're going to land in Titus today. Keep going back. So after Timothy, before you get to Philemon and Hebrews, we're going to be in Titus 3. If you are unsure about the presence of God in you today, let this passage help you know for sure. Because the presence of God helps us know that we are saved. Chapter 3 of Titus, verse 3. Once we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. Paul's saying we've all been there. We are all sinners. Let us not look down on someone who is struggling with sin, thinking we are better than them Because we are all sinners. We have all been there. But here's the good news. Here is how we can know the presence of God in us. But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, and this is the best part, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done. You, we can't go around this world and say, well, I'm good and I'm a good person, so yeah, I'm going to go to heaven. Or, I've served all over the community, so I'm going to go to heaven. Or, I read my Bible every day, and I pray all day long, and I go to church. I sit in the same chair every week. It's got my name on it. That means I'm going to go to heaven. No, it says right here, it's because, not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy, he washed away our sins, giving us new birth, new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he declared us righteous, gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. The presence of God is in us when we receive Jesus as our Savior and we can know that we have salvation and eternal life through Christ. It is not a hope. It's not a wish. We know. The presence of God helps us know. Now we've talked about the tear-off a couple times today. I don't know if you've Realize, but on the bottom of the first part, it says, I'd like to learn more what it means to commit my life to Jesus or to be a more devoted follower of Jesus. Well, today, if at any point during the service that you would like to engage with either one of those, I would encourage you to. But if you came in today and when I asked the question, do you know God is within you, if Jesus is within you, and you weren't for sure, Today is the perfect day to know for sure. Because the truth is, like in Titus 3.3, we have all sinned. We have all gone our own selfish way and followed our own pleasures, and some of us still do today. But the good news is that there's nothing we can do to fix it. Jesus already has. He died on the cross. He lived the perfect life, died the perfect death, and rose again. 
in our place. And because of that, we can know for sure that he is in us and that we are saved now and forever. So if you would like to know more about that, if you have more questions, go ahead, check. I would like to learn what it means to commit my life to Jesus. Maybe today you're like, for the first time, I came in uh, a little confused, but now I understand that I can know for sure that Jesus Christ saved me. Go ahead and write that in the prayer request section. I accepted Christ as my Savior today. We would love to know and celebrate with you. Now, we know there are a lot of us right here, right now, that already know. We know because of the presence of God we are saved. But it doesn't stop there. Have any of you ever maybe said or heard this statement? Faith is kind of a private matter, so I just kind of keep it to myself. You know, I don't talk about religion with people in the community because it's just, it's something that's private. You don't really talk about that. Can somebody share with me where that's found in Scripture? Like, really, where does it say your faith is private, keep it quiet to yourself? In fact, I think Scripture says the exact opposite. If you flip uh, just farther back in Titus 3, verse 14, Our people must learn to do good by meeting the urgent needs of others, and then they will not be unproductive. An unproductive life for God is when we don't live for him. When we keep it to ourselves, that's being an unproductive follower of Christ. See, the presence of God just doesn't help us know our salvation. The presence of God commands us to go into the world. To see the needs of the people around us and to meet those needs. Two weeks ago, our high school group did a mission week here in Cedar Rapids where we would come to church in the morning, have breakfast, have worship, and then in the afternoon we would put things into practice. And so on Monday, we talked about prayer. All afternoon on Monday for about two and a half hours, high school students prayed. They prayed around this church, for this church, and for the church all over the world. Then we went over to Cherry Hill Park. We prayed around Cherry Hill Park for the people that we would meet and our friends. And then we prayed for our families. Day number two and three, we talked about service. And as Bruce said earlier, Jesus came to serve, not be served. And also, that when you serve, and that when we serve, when we meet needs of others, it's not for us to get the glory, but it's to point people to Jesus. And so for two days, our high school students went out in the community and served in different places. We served at families helping families and helped them with their backpack giveaway that they did yesterday. Uh, We helped with the Open Hands Food Pantry. We helped at His Hands Medical Mission. And needs were met. And finally, on Thursday, we talked about spiritual needs, how we know people who need to experience Jesus. And so we decided... That on the kickoff in two weeks, on August 19, we are going to create an event for teenagers, 6th through 12th grade, free of charge, 
here at the church from 4 to 10, where there's going to be activities all over the place, free food, an outdoor movie, an opportunity for friends to invite friends to be together for the night and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I would ask that you would pray that in two weeks, that students would hear the gospel of Jesus, our students would go and invite people in, and the disciples would be made. And one of the probably most famous passages about how the Spirit of God and the presence of God causes us to go would be Matthew 28. If you would like to flip back to the Gospels with me, Matthew 28 is probably a pretty familiar passage to some of us. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. And it's one of those passages that very blatantly says the presence of God commands you to go and not keep this to yourself. Matthew is the first gospel in the New Testament. It says this, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Another passage that says God is with us. He is in us always. And he commands us to go and make disciples. I love to think about numbers. And we know the numbers about the corridor and biblical literacy. We're like the fifth most biblically illiterate area in the whole country, which means we don't really read our Bibles, nor do we care to know what it says. I want you to think about this. If 10 people in this room said, with God's help, I will disciple one person a year so that they would become a disciple to disciple one person I wonder how long it would take for the corridor of 450,000 people to hear Jesus. If 10 people started with one person each, so by the end of year one, we had 20 that were going out. In 16 years, every single one of those 450,000 people would be reached with the gospel. 16 years, one person at a time, starting with 10 people. What if by chance we decided to do 100 people? If 100 people in the corridor said, I will mentor, I will disciple one person each year, and then they would disciple one person each year, it would take 12 years. Now, our congregation here on any given Sunday is probably just under 400 people, but we'll go with 300 If we started with 300 people saying, I will disciple one person each year in just less than 10 years, every single person in the corridor could hear the gospel and be discipled in the truth of Jesus. Can you imagine 10 years from now, the corridor is no longer the most biblically illiterate place in the country, but we are the most discipled place in the country one person at a time, wherever we're at. 
It can start with 10 people praying for a revival and being used by God to build into 10 people who then build into 20, who build into 40. That gets me excited. That yes, one person makes a difference. So back to the tear-off. I'd like to learn what it means to be a devoted follower of Jesus. If, if being discipled is something that God is putting on your heart right now, I would love for you to check that box. And on the other side, if God is saying, I want you to disciple someone else, I would love for you to put that down here in the prayer section. I will disciple someone and put your name And we would love to match up those who would like to be discipled with those who would like to disciple. And let's start that momentum and that revival here to transform the corridor. Like these rings, it starts small and then it expands and it explodes. And all of a sudden, within 10 years, 450,000 people have experienced the presence of Jesus. Can you imagine what that would look like? And it's not something that is impossible. One person a year. Could you invest in one person a year? It doesn't seem too hard when the presence of God commands us to go and make disciples. When we are living in the truth of the presence and not putting God in a box, it seems that that is what God has called us to do, to transform this corridor with his truth. And finally, the presence of God doesn't just help us know our salvation. It doesn't just command us to go, but it causes us to overflow with his love. It causes us to overflow with his peace. If you want to flip back with me into the Old Testament, now, after you get past Matthew, you're back in the Old Testament. You got Zechariah and Malachi and Zephaniah, and then you get to this book called Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Chapter 2. It's a small little book in the Minor Prophets. There's this beautiful verse. Verse 14, it says, For as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of the Lord. Think of the sea and how the waters fill it. And how our earth be filled and is filled with the presence and the glory of the glory of the Lord. It reminds me of baptism, like baptism with water, and we, we use this water to as a symbol and a sign. We baptize uh, infants here to the family of God, and there are other denominations that baptize with immersion, right? Someone accepts Christ, and they, they stand there, and they confess their sins. And as Titus 3 said, the blood of Jesus washes your sins away, and so they go down into the water, washed by the blood of Jesus, and come back up, dripping in the presence of Jesus all over the place. And I'm wondering today, and this week, with the presence of Jesus in us, if those around us might be in the splash zone of Jesus this week. That we can 
sprinkle the presence of Jesus everywhere we go. Remember our baptism into the family of God. And to remember that the presence of Jesus overflows from us into the world around us. His love. His grace. His peace. We don't keep God in a box. But we sprinkle his presence. It overflows with us. We cannot contain the presence of God inside of us. We cannot tell God where he can and cannot be. He just overflows. His grace and his love. Everywhere we go. Do you know the presence of God is in you and with you when you're at the park having a blast with your kids or in the pool? He's also with you when that guy cuts you off on the road. He's with you when you're having your quiet time at home reading his word and praying. He's also with you when that annoying coworker just won't stop. And you can think of ways to make them stop. He's with you when you're here worshiping. He's also with you when you're hanging out on Friday and Saturday night with your buddies. He's with you when you're sick, when your loved one passes away. The presence of God is always there. We cannot put him in a box and compartmentalize him and say, okay, God, you're okay to be in this part of my life, but you can't be in that part of my life. The presence of God is with us everywhere. The presence of God helps us know without a doubt that we are saved and we will be in heaven when we die. The presence of God commands us to go right where we're at and make disciples who make disciples and watch the corridor of Eastern Iowa be transformed with the truth of the gospel. And the presence of God overflows from our life everywhere we go. And people get wet with Jesus every day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may you be glorified. May you be honored. You are worthy of all praise. And Lord, May your presence within us change who we are. Dear Lord, I pray for those who are struggling with sickness this week. I pray that they would find healing and patience. God, I pray for those who have lost loved ones. Lord, I pray for comfort. God, I pray for those who are far away from home. I pray pray that you'll provide company for them. Please be with those who are defending our country. Keep them safe. And Lord, help us to know today your presence in us that overflows to those around us. In your name, amen.
we come to this table as a celebration that Jesus saves. And we recognize that that salvation is a complete package. It is with us always and it covers us in every way. We come to this table to remember that Jesus went to the cross, that his body was broken, that his blood was shed. And in remembering that, we recognize that Jesus has saved us, that his broken body and poured out blood save us from our sins. We also come to this table to abide in the same way that a branch abides in a vine and draws life. We draw life from participating in this table, and that reminds us that Jesus is saving us. That that saving work is not one and done. That that saving work goes with us everywhere we go and continues to nourish us and strengthen us to the calling that he gives us. We also come to this table to remember that this little piece of bread and this little cup is just a pledge or a foretaste of a great feast that we are all going to experience one day when we're sitting at a grand banquet table and we see Jesus face to face. And that reminds us that... um, Jesus will save us. One day, all these things we hope for, all the brokenness that we still wrestle with, one day that's all going to be taken care of. The invitation to come to this table is extended to anyone who can answer Jeremy's question, yes, I know Jesus is in me. You've made a confession of faith in Jesus Christ, and you're welcome to come participate in this meal. If you haven't, there's a little warning in Scripture that says, don't take this lightly. This is an important thing. If you haven't made that choice yet, then maybe you should wait. This is for those of us who have accepted Christ as our Savior. We also come to this table to acknowledge that it's not on our own righteousness that we come. It's only because of the righteousness of Jesus. He has made all things ready for us. So to that end, I'd like to invite Jesus to lead us through this time. So let's pray together. Lord God, we come before you again this morning to thank you for the opportunity that we've had to gather here in worship to hear the truth of your word proclaimed. And now, God, to, to be able to visibly enter into your, your word, to enter into the gospel by sharing this broken bread and this cup. And we know that, God, we're not coming based on our own goodness, but we know that in Jesus we have been made worthy of this meal. And so we give you thanks for that, and we celebrate that, and we pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. On the last night when Christ was with his disciples, he took the bread and after he broke it, he blessed it and he said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you eat it, do it in remembrance of me. He also took up a cup and after he blessed it, he said, this is a new covenant of my blood which is poured out for you. As often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. The elders are going to come forward and distribute the bread and the cup. We ask everyone to hold the bread till everyone has been served. If you need gluten-free items, they're in the center of the tray. You can take those. And when everyone has been served, we'll eat together, and then we'll pass out the cups in the same way. Hold it till we've been served, and then everyone will drink in the cup together. So we invite the elders to come forward at this time and prepare to serve. <laughs>